0: Just to be able to uh, sing those lyrics, I may be weak, but your spirit's strong in me. I need, I need to sing that. There are mornings when I need to sing that. And, um... Well, welcome to Windsor Road. and glad you're here. Um, my name is Randy. I'm privileged to serve as the lead minister here at the church. And um, today we're going to talk about weakness. Weakness. So I begin with... Travis Peterson. This is Travis Peterson. I've uh, never met him, but I want to. Travis grew up in rural Illinois. Uh, Travis um, learned to ride a bicycle and play catch with a football and uh, go water skiing. And uh, Travis Uh, His vocation took him into the ministry, so he attended Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville. Um, He has been planting churches as a part of his vocation. He's planted churches both uh, here in the States and abroad. He's currently at a new church plant in Las Vegas, Nevada. Travis is married. Travis has three children. Travis uh, is a great pastor. Travis preaches every week. And Travis is blind. He's legally blind. Born with a rare genetic disorder since infancy. He since he was a child. Uh, uh, As a child, he could make out colors and contrasts and brightly lit things. Um, But since college days, Travis says that he's basically uh, been using his ears. Travis has what he calls limited light perception, meaning I can see just enough to know that there's a lamp on in the room, and that's it. And I've thought about Travis um, since reading about his life, and since we share the same vocation, and I thought about how radically my life would change Just in the logistics of the day-to-day work life. You know, who's going to take me to the hospital to see those church members who are infirmed? Who's going to help me prepare my messages? Uh, Yeah, there are audio books, but I mean, for all the commentaries, just thinking about how I would need to reorient myself logistically is daunting and dizzy. And yet, Travis, it's just another day for him. He's doing it. Uh, And this is what he wrote. He wrote, in seminary, a classmate once told me that God was using my situation to convict him. The classmate said that as he watched me work through the process of traveling to and from class and studying for tests and taking notes and reading the textbooks and all of the rest, my classmate knew that these things required extra work for me. And then my classmate said something that taught me a great deal, Travis said. My classmate told me that if I could work through my difficulties to do what needed to be done He knew he had no excuse whatsoever for being lazy when it came to his own studies. And right there and then, Travis understood something important about how God uses weaknesses and limitations to encourage and to challenge and, yes, even motivate other believers. Travis wrote, when God accomplishes something through me, preaching, counseling, Sharing my faith one-on-one, nobody is thinking what a great guy I am. They are always looking to see how strong, how amazing, how powerful God is. And they see that if God can use me in my weakness and my limitation and my disability, He most certainly can use Anybody. The fact is, Travis wrote, there is no weakness that is not worth enduring if in the end God uses it to give you the joy of experiencing His glory. I want to meet Him. I want to meet Him. Because His life is an example of our subject matter for today. Weakness. As an identity, as an identity, we're in a series of messages called I Am. And if you just kind of look around uh, the room, you can see the different subjects that we've been talking about in terms of, you know, who am I? Well, I am a child of God. Who am I? I am a new creation. Who am I? I am a servant. And today, I want to talk about the question, I am weak. I am weak. Who who do you look to to tell you who you are? What voices do you listen to most to determine your identity, your significance, your worth as a person? Our journey through this series on identity is based on the premise that God exists and that what the Bible has to say about him and therefore us is true. So we are looking to God's word in the 66 books that make up the Bible as our key truth source. in saying this is who we are. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It doesn't even matter what I think. What matters is what God thinks. Weakness as a marker of one's identity. Weakness as the defining feature of who I am. Weakness as a the primary theme of my life. Weakness. I am weak. And someone might say, why would you want to talk about that? I've come here to, you know, to be encouraged and to talk about strengths and talents and abilities and, and, and so on. And then, you know, here's why. Because we are we are. Every person in this room can identify with weakness. And you can fight it. You can ignore it. You can mask it. You can pretend to try to do away with it, but it's there. So don't you think that a church community ought to be the kind of place where we can talk about weakness and pray about weakness and yes, yes, even celebrate, celebrate. Weakness. Well, that's what we're going to do today. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and I only have a few verses that I want to share with you on the subject of weakness. I'll say that 2 Corinthians, the theme of weakness is all over Paul's letter 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I'm going to read verses 9 and 10, and then we'll jump over to chapter 13, verses 3 and 4. You can find 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10 in your church Bibles on page 970. 970. And again, if you don't have a copy of God's Word to call your own, please feel free to take the copy that's in the pouch in front of you as a gift from this church family. Put your name in it and take it home. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Beginning in verse 9. But he, that is Jesus, said to me, that's the Apostle Paul, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Jesus said those words. And then Paul. Continues. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak then I am strong. And then chapter 13, verse 3, since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me, he is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. This is the word of the Lord. So 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to Christian gatherings, house churches in the ancient city of Corinth, and the theme of weakness, Paul's weakness, weakness as an identity marker of who he is as a human. This theme of weakness weaves itself throughout the entire letter. And yet, Paul says, it's in such weakness that God displays his supernatural, otherworldly resurrection from the dead strength. Strength through weakness. I am weak, Paul says. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, what does Paul mean when he uses this word weak? Let's, I want to talk about that. I want to define weakness. Weakness. What's he talking about? And then I want to answer the question, why? Well, why would God choose weakness to convey his strength? Why doesn't he, con- why doesn't he use strength to convey strength? And then what's the, what's the take-home for us? How do these verses, when I'm weak, then I'm strong, how do they affect our relationships and how we do church as a community. And can we be a kind of congregation where it's safe to be weak? What? So what? Now what? That's how I want us to proceed as we consider this identity marker of, of, of weakness. And let me just talk to you uh, why this is so important. Uh, and I'd like to reference an excellent book um, by Dan Allender, called Leading with a Limp. Leading with a Limp. Um, So I'm looking out across our church family. You know what I see? I see a room full of leaders. Really, I see a room full of leaders. You say, well, Pastor, how do you define a leader? Um, Anybody who follows you. (laughs) Anybody who follows you. You know, is someone in your life saying, Mommy? (laughs) or daddy, you know, anybody. It could be in your family. It could be in your, uh, in your, outside your family. Um, Dan Allender wrote these very important words as to why, why this subject matter of weakness is so important. Allender says, to the degree that you face and name and deal with your weaknesses as a leader... To that extent, you will create an environment conducive to growing people. To growing people. So if you want to be the kind of leader that grows people, you need to name and face and identify and deal with your weaknesses. Allender says, sometimes the quickest path up is down. And then he says this. To the degree that you attempt to hide or evade your weaknesses, the more you will need to control those you lead, both inside your home or outside your home. And the more insecure you will become and the more rigidity you will impose, prompting the ultimate departure of the people you most want to keep. That's why this matters leadership issue in terms of weakness. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. What's Paul mean by that? Well, the word itself literally means without strength. Without strength. To be weak is to be without strength, or to be out of strength, or to be feeble to the point where you experience what fitness coaches call muscle failure. (laughs) Muscle failure, that's when you do so many reps that your muscles stop working, and, 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 and your muscles kind of turn into jello, and you, you, you get wobbly and shaky, and at, at that point, you have reached your limitation, which is what weakness is, limitation. Weakness is a limitation in your life that you wish you could change, but you can. If you had the strength to change it, you would, but you don't. So if you had the physical strength, why, you'd be up 18 hours a day and outwork everybody, but you can't. If you had the rhetorical strength, you'd give that pithy comeback that would make that other person arguing with you wilt and go away, but you can't. If you had the strategic thinking strength, we'd use all of our insight to solve that problem. If we had the financial strength, we'd just purchase our way out of that problem. If we had the muscular strength, we'd stop the persecution so fast our enemy would never mess with us again. If we had the intellectual strength, we would ace that exam and get into that graduate program we desire. If we had the emotional strength, we would be as unaffected at criticism as Mr. From Vulcan. But we're not from Vulcan. We're from Champaign County. And so we're limited. We're weak. A weakness is a limitation in your life that you wish you could change, but you can't. And as a result, it you know, in the eyes of others, you look weak. You look limited. You look feeble. You look wobbly. Paul's weakness here in these verses was twofold. Um, When he says, for when I'm weak, I think he's referring to some physical weakness, some physical limitation. I say that because when you look up at the beginning of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, there on Page 970, you can see Paul in verse 7 uh, talks about this, uh, this thorn that was given me in the flesh. This thorn, literally this stake or this spike in the flesh. And don't, we don't know exactly what it was, but we know that it was painful. We know that it was debilitating. We know that it was distracting. We know that it was limiting, and we know that it was permanent. In three seasons of Paul's life, he prayed fervently for Jesus to take it away. And the apostle, whom God used to heal others, himself went unhealed in this matter. All he heard from Jesus was, no, my grace is sufficient for you. So for the rest of Paul's life, till the day he died... He had to contend with this weakness, this limitation, this thing that he called a spike in the flesh. So it's a physical thing. And from these verses, we also learn that Paul's weakness was just a part of um, his calling. In other words, um, Jesus drafted the Apostle Paul into a lifestyle of vocation that involved weakness, and I think we can infer that from verse 10 when Paul says, I am content with weaknesses, and then the next four words help define at least part of what Paul meant by weaknesses. Verse 10, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. In other words, Paul's own life and vocation was by the very election of Christ, uh, a vocation of uh, weakness and limitation and just hardship, vocational hazards. Jesus said as much in Acts chapter 9, verses 15 and 16. He said, Paul is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before Gentiles and kings. And the children of Israel. And then he said this for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Paul. Paul's life was a life of limitation and weakness as he traveled across the Roman Empire. And his was pioneering work and preaching the gospel where it had not been preached. And planting fledgling church communities in cities like Corinth or Philippi or Thessalonica or Ephesus. And Paul's M.O. was this. He would go into a major city of the Roman Empire and then look up a synagogue... And then he would show up there during the worship time, show his credentials as a rabbi, and uh, oh, my goodness, well, you're a credentialed rabbi, and, and oh, you studied under Gamaliel. Oh, my goodness. Well, really, please, would you, would you teach for us today? Well, certainly. <laughs> and Paul took. The Hebrew Bible and the law and the prophets uh, uh, and as Jesus did in Luke 24 beginning with Moses and all the prophets he showed them everything in the scriptures concerning himself Paul argued that the God's promised Messiah was fulfilled in the person of Jesus of Nazareth who was accredited with signs and wonders who died as a victim of injustice, by crucifixion, a slave's death, but by the power of God was raised from the dead. And when Paul proclaimed this message, there were two responses. First, there were conversions. My goodness, People were converted to the gospel. And in fact, in Corinth, when Paul brought the message to this uh, Jewish synagogue, the, the, the president of the synagogue, the, the lead minister of the synagogue, actually turned to Christ. And lives were changed. And baptisms happened. And a, then a Christian community occurred. So that was one response to the gospel. Conversions. But then the other response was persecution. Intense, deep persecution. In fact, Paul was finally run out of that synagogue in Corinth. And the church met then at a house next door to the synagogue. And the Corinthian church was established. But Paul was persecuted deeply, violently. 1 Corinthians 4, 12 and 13 say, When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat, we have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. So for Paul, weakness was a way of life. Weakness. It's a limitation be it physical or emotional or circumstantial or occupational, something to endure, something that can't be fixed or changed or removed. It's either beyond our control or love dictates that we not respond. Evil for evil, seeking revenge. That's what a weakness is. Now, why would God do that? Why does he choose to work through our weakness? Why is weakness the way of God? What is all that about? Well, part of the answer has to do with the story of ancient Corinth. (laughs) You know, sometimes I think that, you know, we, and I've used the phrase, that it's not mine, it's C.S. Lewis's, uh, we commit chronological snobbery. When we think that, you know, Paul lived like in the Stone Age and he had, you know, he had to rub two sticks together to get a fire and so on and so forth. Well, not quite. Let's talk a little bit about the history of Corinth for just a moment. So Corinth uh, was situated in the heart of the Roman Empire. Uh, Let's take a look at uh, the map. Um, You can see uh, Corinth there uh, on a little neck of land that connects the mainland from this kind of a Almost a, almost an island. But Corinth, next slide, is in this little sliver of this little neck. And that's actually about four miles across. Um, and there are kind of two uh, harbors, um, two ports of harbor. And then uh, the next slide shows a little bit more detail. There's actually today a canal that connects those two gulfs that was built in the uh, late 19th century, uh, but that did not exist in Paul's day. What did exist, though, was like a paved road. And so when um, ships would come in from one gulf, they would actually haul the ships up and put them on some sort of a roller system or cart system. And then they would just, it is easier to do that than just have to sail all the way around uh, that bottom portion of Greece. And so... Uh, but at, you can see that this really put the city in a strategic place, and uh, it was uh, Corinth was like a gem of the uh, of the Greek world until it fought against Roman expansion, and Rome eventually destroyed the city. And for a hundred years, it just kind of laid waste. But Julius Caesar, before he was assassinated, launched a massive reconstruction project of Corinth. In fact, it was so splendid that the poet Horace said, it is not the privilege of every man to visit Corinth. And by Paul's day, the year AD 50, Corinth was even sweeter. It was even more beautiful. And here are some um, reconstructive drawings of what first century Corinth was like. It was new, it was improved, it was young, it was a boom town. Corinth had these flourishing trade route and and taxes and tolls from those two gulfs and ships going back and forth flooded the city coffers with money. Imagine that in state government. My goodness, it was prosperous, educated. Uh, Corinth was uh, sports oriented uh, and thus it was very competitive with the arena and the amphitheater and the games and, and, and in Corinth there was no such thing as second or third place. I mean, you are either a hero or a zero. And so uh, it was very, very tight and competitive. In short, the Corinthian culture was limitless. Limitless. Limitless status, limitless wealth, limitless beauty, limitless sensuality. Limitless was the Corinthian way of life. And, and, and so when, when these elite Corinthians uh, entered a, a pagan religious temple, they didn't go to the temple in order to be challenged about their way of life and their culture. They went there so that the temple leaders would affirm them, even more so coddle them in their way of life. They were strong. And strength surprised no one In Corinth, the Corinthian way was the limitless way of strength. And the way to be strong was to be strong. And the way to win was to win. And then this scrawny-looking Hebrew rabbi shows up. There's nothing outwardly attractive about Paul To the Corinthians. Paul had no curb appeal at all. Not at all. But when he opened his mouth. The mouse roared. Because in. His little life was the limitless glory of the gospel of God who so loved the world he sent his one and only son to rescue us and redeem us. And so Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, we have this treasure in jars of clay. Talk about irony, treasure. In jars of clay, jars of clay, the equivalent in our day would be those plastic milk jugs. Yeah. They're expendable. You can pitch them. Paul says, in this jar of clay, we house the very treasure of the gospel, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So you see, when Paul says, when I'm weak, then I'm strong, he's not saying that when he gets to the end of himself, and when he's wobbly, and when he's weak, and when his life's turned to jello, then at that point, God's strength comes in, and then all of a sudden, Paul just rips his shirt open, and there's an S, and he's strong. That's not what he's saying. Paul's saying, not my weakness plus God's strength equals my strength. He's saying, my weakness plus God's strength equals God's strength. In through my weakness, I'm still weak. I'm still feeble. I'm still wobbly. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 through 10: For we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body, the death. Literally, that phrase is the dying of Jesus. So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. I'm still weak. I'm still feeble. And God's strength shows up. And I'm still weak and I'm still feeble. But people see God's strength. They see this glorious treasure in this Milk jug, God be praised. But we still haven't answered the question: Why does He do it that way? Why, why does He do it that way? And Paul tells us why. At, actually, at the very beginning of Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians chapter one, verse nine, Paul says, "Indeed, we felt that we had received." the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. That's why. That's why God uses our weakness to carry his strength so that we would not rely upon ourselves, but on him who raises the dead. You see, left to ourselves, we would rely on ourselves, we would. We'd rely on our wits, we'd rely on our talents, we'd rely on our clever comebacks, we'd rely on our personality, we'd rely on our people skills, we'd rely on our intelligence, we'd rely on our ingenuity, we would rely on technique. We would. Last week I met someone who visited our church campus for the first time to see the uh, expansion project and remodeling project that has been a part of our all-in initiative over the past two years. And the person was very complimentary. And you know... There are a lot of gifted, talented, strong, God-fearing, gospel-driven believers here and leaders. I mean, really. You know, we're good. But we're not that good. We're not that good. And one of the signs that we have not grasped the gospel is when we continue to be afraid of and discouraged by and and unwilling to accept our weakness. Christ came because we are weak, and we're never going to outgrow this moment-by-moment dependence upon Him and His supply of grace. I mean, if we've obeyed Him a thousand years, we will need Him just as much as when We did the first day we believed. Listen, Jesus is not a little league baseball coach from whom we graduate when we get better skilled at playing religious ball. And self-awareness of our weakness is maturity, not immaturity. And the closer we get to the Lord, the longer we walk with the Lord, the more fully we grasp the Lord's word, the more we are gripped with our weakness and inability and frailty and sin. And Paul boasted of his weakness, not because he just liked being weak, but he had learned decade after decade after decade of total dependence on Christ, that in some inexplicable and mysterious and, yes, mystical way, the power of Christ rested, and that word rested is the picture of a tent being pitched over his life. Christ pitches a tent of his power over Paul's feeble, frail life. Church family, hear me. Your weakness will never get in the way of what the Lord wants to do through you. But your delusion of strength will. The power of God is for the weak. The grace of God is for the weak. The promises of God are for the weak. The wisdom of God is for the weak. So embrace your weakness and run with joy to Him who is the only source of strength. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. Some Christians have said, and I don't know where they found it in the Bible, but some Christians have said, You know, God never gives us more than we can handle. Well, I really wonder about that. I wonder. I wonder if at times God, in fact, does give us more than we can handle. Well, why would he do that? Because we would rely on ourselves. Otherwise, we would. That's why. He does so in order that we will not depend on ourselves, but on Him who raises the dead. So brothers and sisters, if you forget anything else, don't forget this. The weakness that you think keeps you from serving God is the very weakness that God wants to you, you to use for Him. The thing you wish God would remove is the very thing God wants to use. Your greatest weakness is God's greatest area of opportunity. And if you walk, then you are walking from the provision of God's empowering grace. Now what? Well, do you know your weakness? Do you know your limitation? Do you? A thing that you wish you could change but can't? Huh? huh. I put mine on this card. Um, And I put it on this size of a card only because we don't have time to cover all of mine, okay? See, I have, I've got five categories, and then there's sub points underneath that, you know, so. So let's just, just so you know, okay? This may be your first visit and your last visit to Windsor Road, so, If it's your last visit, see you in heaven. So (laughs) let's just start with my physical limitations, all right? And, um, you know, I I just, um, so I, I have flat feet. I have flat feet. I have to wear orthotics or I get this thing called plantar fasciitis. And plantar fasciitis feels like a burning, hot, sharp knife sticking right into your heel. And that's no fun. But I have flat feet. I I can't change that, all right? And then I have, and then, and then, that's, I was talking about my heel. Let's go to the toe. I have gout. (laughs) So I always have to keep medicine with me uh, when I'm traveling because. I mean, if you ever had a gout attack? I'm telling you, man, you can't even not even put a, 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 a bed sheet on your toe. It just feels like a boulder on your toe. It's a killer, and I'm a screamer. And so that's just my, that's just my, that's just, that's just my foot, you know? And then, and then there's, let's go up to the head here. I've got glaucoma, so I've got to take medicine Every night, I got to take my drops in both eyes, and uh, I'm going to have to do that for the rest of my life because I don't want to go blind. And then I have, so I have gut issues in addition to that, all right? So there's the G's, there's the gout, there's the glaucoma, there's the gut issue, because preachers like to speak in threes. So, you know, and and I have this thing called intestinal malrotation, which causes uh, uh, stomach issues. And and, and, what causes that? Stress. Right, and you're in the ministry, <laughs> yeah yeah, right, I know, and that's the deal, so you know, and just i just I just wish I were two inches taller why i don't know, I just think I would look cooler i don't know, I just would, but I'm not, I can't change that, you know, and uh so uh, and and my fingers i I have these bony, knobbly skeleton-like fingers. I, they're my mom's hands. I don't have my dad's hands. My brothers have my dad's hands, but my, I don't. I have my mom's hands, and so there it is. That's just physical, all right? Let's go to the intellectual weaknesses and limitations, see? Um, so it is, um, it, is, it's, it is work for me to read and process and think and write and rewrite and think and... Um, You know, and I mask that difficulty with my work ethic, but it's just, you know. um, And then there's the strategic thinking limitation that I have, you know. I mean, so like, do you think that I went away on a personal retreat, you know, one of those personal nature holy man retreats and came back with this, Facility building design? Ha! No, 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 no. I'm not great at strategic thinking, okay? Um, And then there's family of origin limitations that I have. In in other words, there's just junk about my family of origin that is just a part of my growing up. And like, for instance, in, in our family, we call it The Bolting House Secrets, the Bolting House Secrets, you know, they're secrets because we just think that's important. Because if you really knew, then you would flee, you know, and so, um, and, oh, I I didn't mention food, food. Huge, huge, just part of my family of origin. Uh, so, like, I was on Weight Watchers for the better part of my childhood. I was. I, no, I, I was the heaviest one in my family. We, it was, uh, and it was like our family night out. People say, well, what did you do on your family night out? Well, some people went to play miniature golf, went to the movies. We went to Weight Watchers. That's what we did, you know? And so the ghosts of food, you know. Um, And then there's just the emotional limitations. The emotional limitations. So, um, just so you know, someone identified me, and I I think really most accurately in terms of my personality. So I'm a gregarious introvert. A gregarious introvert. Um, Little secret here. Most ministers... In church dynamics our size and larger, most ministers are introverts, okay? Yeah, but the church dynamic is very extroverted. (laughs) Tell me about it. So, yes, and so I, I, I enjoy my contact with my brothers and sisters in Christ and my family. Man, afterwards, that's why Monday's my day off, all right? And then there are vocational limitations, you see. So... Ministers are susceptible to three landmines, at least three. And here they are. Here are the areas. Uh, greed, moral failure, and ab- abuse of leadership, or abuse of leadership authority. And um, it is by the grace of God that I've been you know, kept clean, um, in these areas. And uh, that's why I don't counsel at night. And it's why our offices have windows on them. Okay? So, you know, we, we, we put these guardrails around us that, that limit us so that the treasure of the gospel... Can go out. So those are mine. Those are mine. Just a few. These are just a few of my favorite things. <laughs> Do you know what yours are? Do you? Your limitations? Oh, and, and, the, and then there are blind spots. Randy, what are your blind spots? Well, oh, I don't know. That's why they're called blind spots. Okay? If you want to know what my blind spots are, ask my wife. All right? No, don't. Okay. But what would you like to change that you can't? Well, my question is, is it possible that God's power and ability could show up in the very thing that you wish you didn't have? Paul says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 26 to 29, he tells them that they were not the culturally elite or the politically powerful or the materially rich. "'For consider your calling, brothers.'" "'Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. "'Not many were powerful. "'Not many were of noble birth. "'But God chose what is foolish in the world "'to shame the wise. "'God chose what is weak in the world "'to shame the strong.'" God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. Why? Why? So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Brothers and sisters, I have a hard enough time with pride with this list in my pocket. Do you think you could live with me if I didn't have this? God doesn't need the powerful or the influential or the cultural movers and shakers to get his work done. He actually goes out of his way to give disproportionate impact to the weak so that Christ gets all the glory. God deliberately uses weak people to get his best work done. And when we will just make peace with those limitations... And come to see those limitations, to come to see this list as God's grace to me so that I'll stay dependent on Him. Then I can stop trying to pretend to be, you know, who I'm never going to be and who I'm not and instead seek the sufficiency and goodness of God's grace, a grace that brings redemption and healing and comfort to all our struggles. Can we be a church where weakness is acknowledged? Where we can say, I struggle with this. Can we be that kind of a church where we can acknowledge that? And can we be a church where weakness is welcomed? See, it's one thing to want to acknowledge it and give it, and it's another thing to to receive it. There may be some who, well, they don't want to do that. And I got to, no, don't do that. I've got an image of you that I've got to maintain and protect and keep and, and, and really? Well, you know, why would you force someone to be who they're not? Why would you stick this ideal image on them to which then you are making them conform and then you expect too much of them and they're quick to judge them when they don't reach your idea? if you got to go to a spiritual community where people need to wear masks so that you can just kind of keep that ideal, oh, you know what? You, you're not a part of a church. You're a part of a costume party. What if we let our weaknesses bring us together? What if we participated in what one author calls redemptive Vulnerability where we share our weaknesses and pray for one another and let our weaknesses unite us and bond us. And and no, I'm not talking about the things we can change, and I'm not for offering free passes for laziness or blame casting or mediocrity. That's not what this is about. It's about learning to live without masks, without pretense, without wondering, if you really knew my weaknesses and vulnerabilities, would you still love me? Well, God knows all of us and loves us. And his spirit, because of the death, burial, resurrection, and seeding of Christ and the sending of his spirit, indwells us. His tent is over us. So we need to put into practice what God says is real. So it really is beautiful. One author wrote, it's really beautiful to grow older. It's really beautiful to grow older as long as you have belonging. Because if you get older and you don't have belonging, then there's no one who will say, I'm with you in your weakness. So weakness is what brings us together. And weakness becomes the cement of our community. Weakness makes us admit I understand you. I need you. I love you. And in our weakness, God is strong.